From that point of view, then I, I will continue to pick movies that I loved as a kid, because apparently they're all racist. <laughs> <laughs> and I just didn't yeah, know any keep, better. We should keep that theme going. Yeah. So I'm picking Soul Man <laughs> from 1980. <laughs> hey, I didn't pick Short Circuit. Uh, no, I did. Yeah. Yeah. See, so racism can sneak up on any one of us. Welcome to Buried Cinema, where we discuss new and lesser-known films in detail, so there will be spoilers. I'm Kevin. I'm Steve. I'm Tom. I'm Tom. I'm Nate. I'm Tom. <laughs> All six of us here tonight are going to be talking about four movies. No. <laughs> um, so, this month, uh, I had the pick and Tom had the pairing. Uh, and my theme was Fantastic Finishes. Some people might call it the money shot. Um, <laughs> Only if you're Jenna Malone. <laughs> yeah. I chose uh, Avengers Endgame, and Tom paired with that Neon Demon. Uh, but we're going to get into Endgame first. Uh, for those that maybe don't know much about this, uh, this is the 20, yes, 22nd movie uh, in the series. And the, uh, there's so much to talk about, I honestly don't know where to start. Nate, first question, how many times have you seen it so far? One. Okay. Do you plan to see it again in the theater? Uh, no, I don't. No. Okay, I'm curious. Why? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've seen it once. I enjoyed it. I, I, I don't know. I feel really weird talking about this movie um, here on the podcast. I've been glad when we, when we walked away from Marvel movies because I keep coming here with like a critical eye. What I enjoy about this movie is just being able to like clap my hands and like fanboy and be like, ooh, it was so cool when that happened. You can and I, do that and still be critical. I, I know you can, but it's, it's hard for me to do that. I also feel like you mentioned this is the 22nd. It's really hard as we get deeper and deeper into these Marvel films for me to pull them out of their context. Half yeah. of what is so impressive to me about Endgame is that it's a satisfying ending, which is an incredibly hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so then every time a criticism props up in my mind, I'm like, that's true, but look at everything they've accomplished. This is such an amazing feat from a movie making standpoint that I'm like, oh, well, you know, I mean, how else could they have done it? I, I loved it a lot. What are some of the criticisms that popped up? Because I actually have a couple as well. And, and I think for me, they're a little nitpicky, but I'm curious what you saw. There's uh, there's issues towards the end with that final battle scene. I mean, it's it's very clear that everything's CGI because of course it is. It has to be. Right. But there's issues where a lot of it, it just seems like we have to give this character has to happen now. This character. Ha and part of that's also cool. But I think part of it, it's also clear that the actors aren't acting with each other. And I, the reason that's so clear is because the second act, the middle of the movie, the time travel stuff is wonderful when the actors are just talking with each other and how much of that isn't action and just building character. Right. Because I think, I think that's something that Infinity War missed. I rewatched Infinity War. What's so awkward about this is they take the characters I love and they send them to three different planets. You know. Well, I actually disagree. I I watched I rewatched Infinity War one and a half times before <laughs> going to see Endgame, and the half wasn't like the first half. It was like I I just went to my favorite scenes basically. You did um, a Nate edit. 
yeah, I just I greatest hits my way through it. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of great character interaction in the film. And the thing that Marvel has gotten so right, and I think what's made them successful critically and in terms of developing uh, a devoted fan base is that they've understood that these films rely on character dynamics more than yes. just flashy action scenes. And, and they've done yeah. great on the action. I mean, they've done great on that, but they've developed complicated, very complicated, very human, very flawed characters that have very, very complicated relationships with each other. And those relationships have changed and developed over 22 films. And they've done s such a good job with that. And I agree that they've managed in, in, in this film to give us a satisfying ending to basically all of them. Mm hmm. And then there are the ones that will continue on from here, which is which is nice. But the ones that have been around since, you know, 08 through 11, where they were basically, you know, setting up Thor and Captain America and Iron Man, they've given us satisfying, you know, conclusions to those stories. I think what also... Which is very impressive, yeah. What, and, and what helps, aside from the storyline, even though they've they've had multiple writers, they've had multiple directors... The underlying style has remained consistent through all of them. Um, I mean, when, when the the first two Thors came out, they had their own kind of style, and they were consistent to each other. And then you saw, as he was in the other films, it just it didn't seem like twenty two different films. Yeah, it it seemed like twenty two chapters in the same story, mm -hmm. which well. I uh, can I yeah, kind of ahead. disagree with you on that? Sure. Um, I think they suck, but yeah. No, you cannot disagree. <laughs> this podcast is no, not about disagreement. They, I know. They've maintained a consistent level of quality, but one of the things, one of the other things I appreciate about this franchise is the way they've explored genres within that. Yeah. So, like, you had the, you know, the espionage thriller with Winter Soldier, and you had the fun heist film with Ant Man, and you had, you know, the magic visual feast with, with Doctor Strange and I, I really like that they've allowed each individual film to be its own thing but well, Ragnarok I think, was basically a buddy cop movie it's choose the same yeah, storyline yeah. yeah I could say I never looked at it that way but I can I can see that yeah 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 and you got you got the you know 80s sci-fi fun with Guardians and yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's a testament to Kevin Foggy as a producer is yeah. he's he's managed to keep it relatively consistent across the board, but also, especially starting with Winter Soldier, allow these films to be their own thing. Yeah. Now I I mentioned and earlier. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. Let's say and and that's the other thing is they've managed to give Easter eggs to like the hardcore comic fans without compromising the movies themselves. Like there are so the most part, yeah. many Easter eggs in Endgame that are that nobody but the hardcore comic fans would get. Like what? Like now, that that big scene with all the women running into battle. Yeah, what the hell? I know that, that was that was uh, like it, it's actually been cri criticized. <laughs> Thank you. But no, <laughs> what they were doing is there's there's a there's a series called A Force with right. mainly those characters, and they were like, hey. This is in the future. That's what they're doing to the hardcore comic fans. And I, I appreciate that. Okay. Like, so the hardcore comics see that. I saw that both times and I'm going, oh, crap. They're pandering to the women again. 
Yeah, which I get. That's how it comes across, and that's yes. unfortunate. Like that, but that's sort of the most obvious. Like they, I don't think that's the intention. I think that the intention was, you know, that series. We're thinking about that. It was like letting the fans know they know that this is on the horizon. Okay, I, I loved it. I, I, I mean, I was just on a high for three hours, basically. When I started thinking about it, I started coming up with these questions, and I was like, okay, is this a problem with the movie? Is this a problem with the movie? And then I started reading articles and people bringing up all sorts of problems with you know, the way they treated the female characters in the movie, which I think is just an unfortunate circumstance of yeah. how it's developed. Um, and they're trying to correct it. It's just going to take time. Yeah. So, there, I mean, there are articles about you know, the time travel, whether it makes sense, whether they did disservices to characters like Black Widow, who would have been a great leader for the Avengers going forward, but they killed her off. And I actually... The second viewing, I was really paying attention to like all of those questions and all of those potential problems. And the only the only scene that I think is actually bad is that girl power scene. <laughs> that was kind of that's what I named it in my head was the girl power. Yeah. yeah, it's just very very awkward and clunky, and it seems like it's pandering. And I think they, if they wanted to do that, I think they could have done it in a much better way. Yeah. Well, I that's. That it does, if you don't realize what they're doing, which you shouldn't have to realize what they're doing. So I'm not like right, apologizing right. or, you know, uh, saying it's okay. But if you don't realize what they're actually doing, it does come across that way. Right. Um, and, and you look but, at it, the, this is a three-hour movie, mm-hmm. which uh, I, I, myself, I saw it twice. Steve, you yeah. saw it twice. Um, never felt like a three-hour movie, which no. I, I think says a lot about proper pacing and you're, you're talking about maybe a 45 second yeah. scene in a three hour movie um and that just shows Not even. you it's just it's yeah. just a moment that really it, it it stands out as so glaringly not good right and yeah. there are other things i could nitpick about but that's this the feels... only thing in the movie that i'm like this is this was a bad idea and a lot of the a lot of the complaints about the time there's only actually only one time travel flaw in this movie everything else is actually pretty they treat time travel perfectly in this better than most time travel movies so back to the future was alive yes yes it was <laughs> uh they 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 have this idea of you go back you change something it splits things off into a new timeline that solves so many problems because that means there's no deus ex machina where you can go back and right. fix everything mm-hmm. right it also that you guys uh, know my nickname for captain marvel so Deus Ex Machina, the movie, yeah. which it turned out not to be, and I was not, thankful for that. Not at all. Yeah. Um, the only problem is the Captain America thing at the end. That kind of breaks their own logic. But I'm still like wrestling over that one. Yeah. I it's 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 emotionally satisfying, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. but it's the one like emotionally satisfying thread that I'm like. But does that break the logic of the movie? It does. It breaks yeah. all the logic of the movie. Yeah. But it's satisfying enough to where I'm like, uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> now, what, what you were just saying is interesting because this, this movie actually fixes my biggest negative criticism of both Captain Marvel and Infinity War. Captain Marvel being Deus Ex Machina, the movie, and yeah. Infinity War being you introduce time travel, you can just fix anything you want because of time travel. Yeah. Because of the quantum theory of time travel, you can't. No. And because Captain Marvel isn't in this movie a lot, but still has a significant presence in the movie without being the solution to the movie 
fixes the Captain Marvel problem. Yes. Yeah. Although I'm not totally at ease with that yet, though, and, and with Captain Marvel not being able to fix everything. That's one of the nitpicky things that I have. Well, I mean, it makes sense because she, as she says in the movie, she's out taking care of so many other Right. And it's things. it's not from a time perspective. It, it's from a hierarchical power perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, basically, like her and Thanos are equal as far as power goes. Okay. Right? How does he have that much power? Just he's a titan. That's his, his his entire race has that much power. Like they're just an extremely powerful race. But also once he has the Infinity Gauntlet, he has more power than she does. That yes. I can understand. Yeah. That I can I can see. But there are times where he is getting his ass handed to him by Captain Marvel, Thor, Captain America, who now can hold Thor's hammer, mm-hmm. and Iron that's- Man. And and he's got this twirly sword that's fending them all off. <laughs> I just don't. I, I mean, I, it's probably explained in the comics, and uh, I'm kind of okay with it. It's not. Well, it's I mean, the skin it, beard. You need a skin beard. <laughs> you mean a scrotum mean chin? Scrotum. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, and I don't really need it explained to me. I, I don't because I and I on one level I don't want it explained to yeah. me because it's part of the mystique that helps you enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, but it's one of those things where I'm like. Okay, look, she comes in and because she's this glowing ball of energy, just blasts her way through a ship, uh-huh. but Thanos can stop her with a piece of metal. Why isn't uh-huh. the whole ship made of that? I, I don't know. It's rhetorical yeah, complaints. Right. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about the problem of power scaling when we talked yeah, about Yeah, I, I, I know. Um, but, but like they do show that they have that scene where it's basically her and him and they are – Almost equal. equal. Yes. As far as power goes. Right. Like and, what and they can I like take. when he, he headbutts her. Yeah. <laughs> no. She just sits oh, there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, they are, they are fairly equal, but that's yeah. not enough. I like that that's not enough. Right. Right. And you need that. You really do the, to um, progress to where it eventually winds up. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something I, I realized on the second viewing that I didn't see on the first, and I mentioned it to, to Kathy and the kids um, as we were leaving the theater. I mean, I, I'm guessing you guys picked up on it as well when uh, Tony Stark is, is talking to Doctor Strange and he's like, you've seen 14 million versions. Is this the one? Mm-hmm. And he says to him, if I tell you, it won't be. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize until the second viewing that he knew that Tony Stark was going to die. Yeah. And if he told him, he wouldn't have sacrificed actually, himself. Actually, if you go back to Infinity War, you realize he tells Tony Stark, you're going to die. Oh, I, I got to see that. the only way to do this. He, okay. he basically tells him that, but right. in a subtle way. Like He says, I'm sorry, but this is the only way. And he's looking directly at Tony Stark okay. when he says that. That's, yeah. after That's a powerful After watching moment. Endgame, probably in a year, hopefully, because I have a lot of shit to do in my life and I don't have 36 hours to spend watching movies, at least not straight. Um, <laughs> I want to I'm the only one who watched every single Marvel Cinematic Universe movie in chronological order in the oh. month of April before this movie came out? No, no, his wife did. <laughs> Actually, yes, she did. While she did was she working. really? She, she did, did. Yes. yes, while she was working on her phone. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, she, she gets huge props for that. Um, from about November on, I watched every movie and about show, right? and about half the shows. Then I got a new job, so I couldn't keep doing that. Um, 
But no, I want to go back because I know I'm going to pick up on so much yeah. other stuff and earlier ones that they were smart enough to include well, that's that like are going to make sense. Thing, right? Yes. In Age of Ultron. Yeah. He moves it. Right. And then right after he moves it, that's when Ultron busts in. So you don't really right. get to see whether he can actually pick yeah. it up or not. It's right? just – it's a question of being worthy, yeah. not physical strength. Yeah. No, so he gives the fact up that before pays, Ultron comes in. I thought Ultron – I thought he like slightly moves it. Ultron comes in after Thor picks it up and says, you're all not worthy. And then Ultron comes in and says, no, how can you be worthy? You're all the uh, killers. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, that moment, the first time I saw this, I was in a totally packed theater with a very engaged audience. And that moment where the flies back and you see Captain America catch it. Yeah. The theater I was in went freaking nuts oh, ours oh did yeah. Too. yeah yeah people were clapping and cheering and it was it yeah. was like one of the greatest theater moments i've ever experienced yeah yeah i had the fortunate instance of of sitting next to a fanboy the second time i saw it and i you can call me steven <laughs> <laughs> steven um no i i thought the whole way through that it was his first time seeing it. It was his 15th. But, well, <laughs> it, it, I found out afterwards that it wasn't, but the way he was reacting was like it was his first time seeing it. Honestly. Yeah. That made me enjoy it so much more. The last third of the movie may yeah. be the greatest cinematic experience I've ever had. Both times. Yeah. Like, Everything comes together so well, yeah. and there's so many payoff moments, and like just the scene with between Quill and Gamora. Oh right? yeah, just that alone is yeah. like a wonderful moment. Yeah, where the, you missed the first time, <laughs> the second time you got both. It's just like I know. it's per- it, it, it was between more- him and a tree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it goes back to the very first movie. Yeah, and there's no, you're so you're many right, things. and there are and there are moments like that that I only picked up on the second time watching. Like exactly, um, the the amount of moments in this series that they reference, but in a, an organic way, yeah, is kind of mind blowing. It really is. I'd love to watch, you know, in in a few years. When they do some sort of documentary, and I don't know, maybe be on the DVD extra, um, about the process of scripting this whole story. Because I, even after watching this, I'm, I'm sure we could talk about this for hours. I don't think most people will grasp how, how, how big it is. How much pre-production went into it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I was talking to Tosh about this. There, there's some of it that's retconned, right? Like there's little things that are references back, like when – they're all dressed up to ready to go back in time. They all put their hands in. Mm-hmm. If you take that shot, it looks just like the original arc reactor in Iron Man, the first oh, yeah. Iron Man, yeah. right? So there's things like that where there are more callbacks. Right. There, there, are, things, there are also things where uh, it seems like they planned it from the very beginning, and I don't understand right. That's how, the stuff like, that is just mind-blowing yeah, to me. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing. Like what, Steve? I right now I was trying to think of something as I was saying that because I was thinking of stuff earlier. And you would sound so smart if you did. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I was trying to like in the moment I couldn't do it. All right. Tell me you guys stayed through the credits though. I, I did, did the second time and it is so worth it. Yes. Oh, definitely. And no, like through the like when they're signing their names and yeah. stuff. Yes. No, no, no. But all the way to the end. No, they, they do the like Iron Man hammer thing at the end, right? 
Yeah, and that gave me the warm fuzzies. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that part then. I mean, I cried a few times in this movie, but I think this is the first movie that the credits made me cry. Yeah. Because like, it's over. The, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I think, uh, and both times it happened. It's when, you know, the six Avengers, you got their yeah. signing their names and whatever. And it gets to Iron Man. And both times I like, I teared up and I was like, why? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's 10 years of, of people yeah, that we've yeah. invested in. Yeah. Or 11, yeah. It, it's crazy, the scale of this. And not just that. Robert Downey Jr. has been the, the, every, Avengers the axis glue. that everything turns on. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like the arc. His, yeah. Uh, his, uh, not just his character, but him, like his personality as a human being, yeah. as a real person, yeah. has been kind of the charisma, has in, informed the charisma of the entire Marvel Universe. So to see right. him go is is kind of rough. And yeah. especially in the Avengers, like one of the first things he says to Captain America, I'm not the self-sacrificing type. That was the one thing that paid off. Yes. Okay. Got it. Um, <laughs> he, one of the first things he says to Captain America, we'll, we'll I'm it not just Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Tom, make me sound smart. Um, I'm not the self-sacrificing oh, I type. Do. <laughs> Or, or I should say, I, I at least make us—I at least make us sound less stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, more accurate. <laughs> so one of the first things he says is, "I'm not the self-sacrificing type." That's something you're gonna have to learn about me. And then it all ends with him being the self-sacrificing one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that some of that—they didn't realize what it was going to be. Right. But it feels like they planned that from the yeah. very beginning. Like his character was completely self-interested mm -hmm. and this entire Marvel universe has been about him becoming someone who's willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good. Yeah. And it's, it's mind boggling that it, yeah. it feels like it's, that was planned from Iron Man one. There's a lot, there is a lot of full circle stuff just from the first Iron Man mm -hmm. in this movie from, yeah. I mean the, the sound tag at the end of the credits is yeah. one thing, but the I am Iron Man line. Yes. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, he does, in the first Avengers, he does end up self-sacrificing in that film. But yeah, the way, I mean, I, I watched, there's a series on YouTube. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, you know, on YouTube, there's there's a bunch, there's a lot of different like video essayists. And one of them got a bunch of them together to each do a one marvelous scene review where they pick a scene from the MCU to review. This all happened before Endgame came out. And one of them, one of the series, which is called The Take, did chose the scene from Infinity War where Thanos fights Tony Stark. And there's so much subtext in that scene that I didn't pick up on. Just stuff about how Tony being like one of the only characters that's completely human. Yeah. You know, he's not enhanced or anything. He mm -hmm. Everything enhanced about him is stuff that he's built. Mm -hmm. He's a super engineer. He, about it right yeah. yet he is like the one that thanos fears most yeah so like if you go back and watch that scene just like their dialogue there's so much subtext going on in that wow hmm. and it's just really really interesting and 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 it pays off so great in that final scene at endgame you know where he and snaps I, his fingers and it's like he's been outsmarted by tony which is the one thing he was worried was going to happen yeah and i didn't notice this really notice it until the second time watching this but I love the fact that after he uses the gauntlet, 
he doesn't say anything. He tries, mm. but he doesn't like yeah. he doesn't have any like profound last words or anything like that. Right. Once the gauntlet's used, it's used him up. Yeah. And yeah. they don't like he doesn't somehow say something profound. It's just right. it's he says but he basically like mumbles and that's right. it. But they they still kind of allow him to do that with the recording. Yeah. Right. So yeah, he, yeah, he's still he, he's still got Which that is personality. Another comic because in the comics, yeah. Tony Stark's alive, but he's a hologram, which oh. I know makes no sense. Yeah, I hope, th- but I hope they don't do that. They're not doing that's. I think that's another yeah. one of those Easter eggy things that they're like, right. we know you're out there and we right. acknowledge you, but let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, that kind of thing. So we've been gaga over this uh, the whole time. Um, it's been quiet, but mm-hmm. I've oh, I figured he fell asleep. Um, <laughs> No, no, I'm st- I'm still here. I know because there were were so many preceding storylines and films, you've got to somehow try and tie it all together and, and it's really difficult to do it and do it justice without seeming like you're pulling teeth. The ending almost felt like the end of Lord of the Rings, where you've got an extra 30 minutes of just ending film. Um I didn't feel that way. It's almost. Like it, was, it was really – yeah, Lord, it wasn't like Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, I was like, oh, it's – oh, no, no. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it, it didn't no, keep no. fading to black. It was – that's true. It was close though for it, me yeah. at times. Um, and that's uh, – okay, you've got to take – like I said, you've got to take all these 20-plus films and wrap them up somehow or, or – more or less wrap them up. We, we've talked about, you know, there's going to be others uh, like uh, Spider-Man's going to continue. Yeah. Um, there's a new Captain America. And that there that, that whole scene is a whole other like callback to the comics kind of thing. Because both Bucky and right. Falcon become Captain America at one point. So then they walk up together and it's like, I would, even the first time I saw it, I'm like, who are they going to pick? Who are they going to pick? Uh, like I was really excited to find out who they were going to pick. Yeah. There's three kinds of fans for these films, right? <laughs> there's no seriously. There's three yeah. kinds of fans. You've got your your casual fans that just hello like watching movies, and you know <laughs> they'll go to this movie because it's a big movie and it's a fun movie. Then you got your like diehard MCU fans, which is like what I fall into. And me. Then you got your comic book fans, and what Steve was saying about this the Easter eggs for comic book fans, this film really pays off for all three of those. Oh, it does. Yeah. Right. And I pick up on the callbacks to other MCU films, especially because I just watched them all. But (laughs) I I wouldn't pick up on the comic book Easter eggs at all. Right. But I don't need to. And and like that, the A-Force thing was the only thing that was for comic fans only and took me out of the movie. What did you guys think about uh, Hulk? His CGI'd character. It's fine. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it, actually. It was a nice way to give Mark Ruffalo a chance to actually act. For <laughs> as us to that, see as that character, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. us to see him. Uh and I like that it doesn't happen until the five years later flash forward. Yeah. Right. That makes a bit more sense because there's you know, in, in Infinity War we're wondering like what's going on. Hulk's terrified he's not coming out. And I I think it's a nice way to to actually show that that character can have some depth. And he's not. They, I, I, know, I know some fans are like, I just want to see him smash stuff. And that's, but. That's not the character. Not, not really. It gave him a specific purpose in that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, he even says, I was made for this. Right? Yeah. And I like how they, the CGI, actually, I liked a lot. 
because they grade his skin a little bit. Yeah. Which they is- sh- They show a five o'clock shadow. They show more personality in his face. Yeah. I'll say this. One thing the Russo brothers are terrible at is uh, CGI helmets. <laughs> CGI helmets? <laughs> there hasn't been a single scene since Civil War where a character's helmet came off and it looked like that person's head was actually in that suit. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> that That's one of those nitpicky things I was talking about. Okay, yeah. yeah. One thing I was going to say, one thing that Marvel figured out that nobody, I don't think anybody really figured out before them is how to make a superhero movie funny without it being campy. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know of any other superhero movie before Iron Man, basically, that mm-hmm. had the kind of humor it had that wasn't also kind of a little silly or campy. Right. Marvel figured out that balance of how you can take it seriously, but it can still be funny. It does venture a little into camp, but only like in Guardians. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say with certain Ragnarok. characters. Right. Yeah. 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 But not it, it's it still takes the character itself seriously. Right. You know what I mean? It doesn't that does, it they don't do it at the expense of the character. All right. Great. Yeah, we could keep yeah, going. There's for lots of other things a, I, I want to talk about. A long time on this. Forever. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll uh, burn through grades right now. Uh, I'm giving this I'm giving this an A, uh, and it's almost an easy A. Nate, I'm also giving it an A. Stephen, A. Tom, it is an easy A, and there's one specific thing I did not want to forget to say, um, <laughs> and that was that you I'm, hate they, Captain Marvel's short haircut. So did I. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Oh, she looked yeah. horrible. Sorry. I like it. <laughs> I think she looks great. Did you hear that, Brie Larson? Tom thinks you look great. The rest of us? I do. The rest yeah. of us think you look terrible. Feel free to Facebook me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what was the what one the thing? the kids are saying nowadays. Yeah. There are actually other things, but one specific thing I wanted to say was that uh, I'm really glad that they brought Alan Silvestri back to do the score for Infinity War. The, the music was a lot better, yeah. The, the scores, and I was paying attention the, the second time watching these, the score for these two movies is so beautiful. And he's he's the one that scored Captain America, the first Avenger, and the first Avengers in 2012. And the various musical cues he does along the way, and just like the way he slips into that, that 1970s espionage, the, the like 1970s spy music is, is great. And yeah. um, So there's a lot of talk on the internet right now about Robert Downey Jr. at least getting an Oscar nomination for his performance. Mm-hmm. That's you don't think it'll happen? Nope. Yeah, I, I, don't I think it's too think far so. away. I think yeah. you forget. Uh, yeah. I, I, I do think he d- deserves it. But Yeah, he deserves it. But I don't think it'll happen, unfortunately. He deserves it because I don't think there's ever been an actor in history that's done what he's done here. No. I mean, he's, he's created an arc over seven. I think he's starred in seven of these films. Yeah. And there is an actual, like, yeah. specific emotional arc over those movies and actually eight especially oh yeah you're right you're right you're right oh well in that case fuck it eight movies hell yeah he's got it <laughs> seven <laughs> i don't know no but tom you, you're right and and it's unfortunate i like steven said because it's a number of things it's so far removed calendar year wise mm-hmm. from oscars and there's so many other things that will just be on everybody's you know forefront of mind that it probably won't come up and it's 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 there's, not still the, gonna, there's still genre bias. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a good performance, um, but mm-hmm. I think I, it's I, beyond, he's got a shot in hell. 
I, I agree with you, but I think it's more than just a good performance. He he created a living, breathing character where, like any one of us, you asked us, what would Tarney Stark do in this situation? We could probably answer that question. Right. That is an amazing piece of and, acting. And you could ask four different people and they would give you the same answer. The same answer, yeah. Yeah. He, he is a living, breathing person. Yeah. He created this character that feels like an actual human being. And what's more interesting to me is that is the besides the fact that someone did it is that Robert Downey Jr. did yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. And his career before this mm-hmm. I, I don't even think he would have expected him to be where he is today. No. Um Well, can I say one more thing that really yeah. impressed me about this movie? <laughs> um I know I got straight A's, no, so right. I get a gold star. Woo! Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, did, you do. Okay, so we all knew we all knew going into this that it was the end of the line for Steve Rogers and Tony Stark, basically. I didn't, right. but yeah, yeah. What, what? That's everybody like, knew. It. I don't that's believe been in the discussion for two since like second. <laughs> well, okay, let me let me rephrase that. I didn't I didn't know who was going to die. No, I didn't. They either, don't have to die for it to be the, the point, end of the line. No. The point was. The conversation was that Tony Stark and Steve Rogers are probably not going to make it through this movie. Like it's yeah. the end of their arcs, their their contracts, or whatever, or however you yeah. want to phrase it. Like, okay, so I went into this thinking, okay, so Steve Rogers is probably going to die. I just want a satisfying conclusion to that. Yeah, I think probably up until Infinity War, I would have been okay with Tony Stark dying. But going into this movie, I was thinking, I really want Tony Stark to have a happy yeah with Pepper and his kid because there's a conversation in central park where he wants to have a baby and i just want i want a satisfying death for steve rogers and i want tony stark to have a happy ever after whatever and it's like they did the exact opposite of that yeah on purpose but but i was still satisfied with it and and i was like i was like this actually this actually did better than my expectations they told you what you wanted and it's i I don't mean that in a condescending way but it's it'd be easy for for Captain America to have something happen to him because he doesn't have any family connection yeah. yet. Right. Um, whereas, you know, Tony Stark, like you said, Pepper, there's literally a 50, it's a coin flip uh, whether she's going to be dust or she's going to be around. Yeah. And not only is she around, but they have a kid together. Mm-hmm. And you could see that changes him. Some of the best scenes in the movie. By the way. Yeah. And, and to see somebody who has evolved so much and has matured in the right direction so much to see them die hurts so much more. Well, it's the true self-sacrifice. If, yeah. if there's nothing, if you're not losing anything, then it's not right. self-sacrifice, yeah. right? So if Steve Rogers would have died, exactly your point, yeah. he didn't have anybody. It would have been upsetting, but it wouldn't have right. been as self, it wouldn't have been as affecting. Yeah. Right? yeah. Because Tony actually gave something up. Yeah. Right, not just his life. Right. So that and that's what made that's what makes the arc so satisfying. So they, like you said, they mm-hmm. made you realize what you really wanted. Yeah. Not what you thought you wanted. Yeah. Which, yeah. which how many times has that ever happened? Never. Very, very like rare. Right. All right. So Nate, do you have anything else you'd like to say? <laughs> We've been hogging the conversation. No, I mean it's a it's a good movie. Oh, Nate, that was your moment. Okay. You should People should you, go see it, I guess. You should okay. have said John Carter was better. <laughs> uh, John Carter was better. But that's a, like. Conversation for another day. Um, Steve, do you want to do flick chart? 
Okay. And we didn't talk about Nebula or Scott Lang. I know. Man. The world was saved by a rat. Because right. Scott Lang and, two, and Nebula are two of the best characters in the movie. And Yeah. I do have a so question, much. though. I, I tried and I, I may notice it on a third or fourth watching. When did Nebula pick up the gold piece in her head? Uh, in the five years. Yeah, that wasn't addressed. Wasn't yeah, addressed. it was sometime in the five-year gap. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. That was both a nice little character detail and a very subtle plot thing. Yeah. Because it was like, oh, she's she's adding more color to herself. She's more of a human character now. Like she's mm-hmm. she's yeah. not like full of bitterness and whatever. You know, she's whatever. All right, so we are going to put Avengers Endgame into our flick chart. Flick chart is a website you can go to where you can take movies you've watched and rank them against one another and, and build up a top 10, top 100, or top 647 or so like we have. Steven, take it away. So Avengers Endgame enters our chart, and the first movie it comes up against is The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part Uno. Ugh. <laughs> like this is this is how you know the quality. Like we're nit we nitpick about a few things, right? But then as we start like comparing it to other, especially franchises, yeah, it's like yeah. no, no it's close. not even it's not even close. Yeah, like I would even the the last two Harry Potter movies. I love them. I think they're fantastic. If it gets there, it's gonna be. Oh tough. my gosh, you just reminded me of something. But no, it's I, not to that me, level. You don't think it's? I think it's beyond no. that. Like it's not even close, even for well, that. Wait, wait. It's close. It's closest to Harry Potter. Closest. But what, but what was interesting to me, and and you just reminded me, Harry Potter or Deathly Hallows Part One and Two. Part One took place over a long, long period of time, and then Part Two is like a day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Part Two is basically just a battle movie, whereas Infinity War took place over a day and was basically a battle movie. And Endgame takes place over a long, long period of time. And yeah. I just thought it was an interesting mirroring of like, oh, yeah. structures. Hmm. Well, we'll see if, if we have that conversation shortly. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> so Avengers Endgame wins. Uh, and it's up against the Vavitch. Endgame. God damn it. The Vavitch. Oh, I go Endgame. Endgame is actually in my top 250. Oh, wow. But it's not as high as the Witch. But I don't want to stall this here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not budging on you this. You don't. I like. I really like that to movie. Be our litmus test. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will strategically go Endgame. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so Avengers Endgame wins. Yes. Uh, Citizen Kane or Endgame? Really? Yes. Oh, Endgame. Endgame. Yeah, hands down. Don't make me do it, Nate. <laughs> hey, Tom. I would go Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> now, Nate, I, I'm uh, not doing this on these, purpose. Why are these great movies so freaking low on our list? You drive me nuts. There's something about it, Nate. Is it a genre you're just not that much into, or you're kind of like, like, eh, it's a movie? Because you are so it's, oddly quiet this whole time. I know. Like I usually I we like, can't shut you up. I know. <laughs> I know. I like I like Marvel movies. I've gotten to the point where I don't like looking at them critically because then we do end up nitpicking them. Right. I really enjoy going and watching them and just seeing them as an entertainment. And then when I start looking at them critically, um, I, I find myself divesting the two. And just be it, that guy yeah. for a minute then. Okay. Guys, look, looking at a movie critically does not mean looking at it negatively. No, I don't, I don't think it does. But I think it, it opens up that 
moment where you start finding the flaws. And if I just enjoy something and dismiss the flaws, like how you guys were talking about with the um, Captain America thing at the end, how it's it's satisfying, but there are these time travel issues and plotting issues. And essentially the writers both said, you know, in both cases, we're just like, whatever, we need this to happen, you know? And, um, and if, if I just sit down and enjoy it, I can just love it. And then if I start looking at it critically, now I start having to weigh this. It it makes I, I I have troubles personally, like divesting the two things. I'd find less enjoyment out of it. And so then and when I, I sit it up against Citizen Kane, which I've seen a couple of times, it's better. It's a better film. I I get that. Like for the same reason that um, I won't watch the commentary for Lord of the Rings, because I started to and. I immediately there was the scene where they were talking about how when they were jumping onto the ferry and Elijah Wood, like when he did that, he got a big splinter in his foot. And they're, they're, they're talking about that whole scene. Takes you out of the movie. Yeah. So now when I watch that scene, that's what I think about rather than being like in the moment of that scene. Oh. So yeah. thinking about something critically, it doesn't I agree with you, Tom. It doesn't mean that you have to think about it negatively. But then in certain things, especially when it's something you just want to love. It, you end up thinking about that rather than getting caught up in the moment. Right. And you dissect so, it and think about the mechanics. Yeah. And, and yeah. Okay. I, sir, I, I understand what I you're know. saying, Nate. Maybe, I, maybe I've just developed a process for myself, but like, especially for, I, I, I'm a big like franchise nerd for a lot of stuff. And it's, Hey, it's there's a that Land a of... Before Time franchise you should check out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, there it's might be like, 22 of those. Yeah. <laughs> It's stuff that a lot of quote-unquote serious cinephiles look down their noses at. And to me, that is backwards because this has done so many things that have never been accomplished before in the history of cinema. Like, I, my first viewing of this, I was just in the moment of the film. And -hmm. it wasn't until after that I started asking the questions that, you know, told me maybe there were some issues with this. And that's what I was looking for in the second viewing. And then I just decided which one's where actually problems are not. And the only one I had a problem with is that girl power moment. Like the other stuff is like, yeah, but it's not worth not enjoying the film over. Yeah. For me, it's it's the same issue that I see a lot. It's a weird thing. I'm going to compare this to literature because I see it happen to my students all the time. And I think, Steve, you might be able to test this. And I bet, Kevin, you can too. English class kills books. Oh, yeah. We yeah. kill books. My job is essentially to teach kids how to hate books. Um <laughs> Because like what I do is I sit them down and I'm like, here's this amazing work of literature, right? Here's here's Wuthering Heights. This is as creepy, as wonderful a piece of horror as anyone will ever touch. Read it in two weeks. And and there's no way you're going to be able to enjoy that. And so like in order – when I was going through like even – think about school, it analytically too right. rather than get and, caught up in the story. Yeah. And it, it ruins the process of a book for you and loving a book. Yeah. And so like when I was in grad school, there were – cheesy little things that I get into just really bad fantasy and really bad sci-fi and I read it I don't want to talk a bit about that with anybody or dissect it because now I am putting it in even if it still holds up but now I'm treating it different and so it's it's the same way I I don't I've I've gotten to the point with Marvel movies where I don't want to talk with them critically because Mm -hmm. then I'll start to feel like I'm becoming that pedantic critic who's going to end up looking down on it and i just i just want to enjoy it i just want to eat the craft mac and cheese i don't care that most of it is sodium nitrate or whatever 
that that's how I felt more after Captain Marvel because Captain Marvel I don't think is a great film. Right. But I, yeah. But yeah. I have decided that I, I like it and I'm going to enjoy it. And sure, I can pick it apart and discuss all its shortcomings and whatever. But it, in the end, I still just I like it. So yeah. which is it then, Tom? Citizen Kane <laughs> or Endgame? I can't I can't not go Citizen Kane on this one. Then we're stuck. <laughs> I, I, just, I just can't. I will make Tom happy because I, I would be such a hypocrite if I go Citizen Kane <laughs> over this and then don't go with my Black Hawk down. So I, I'm more than yeah, you. Yeah, you, okay. really, you really would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, Black Hawk down is more fun. So I'm going with that instead. Yeah. Yeah. But Endgame sucks. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if you make me sit down and watch these two movies, um, and so whatever, my my critical rating, there's no critic out there who's like thinking like, ah, he's he, there's a thinker there, that Nate Griffiths. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, whatever. Okay. We're, we're getting up there. Uh, Endgame or The Big Short? And I would still go Endgame. The Big Short. Endgame. I'd go Endgame here. What's it? Top I'm, 10. Here we oh. go. <laughs> Avengers Endgame or... Harry Potter and the Deathly Pallows, Part One. Deathly Pallows. Deathly Pallows. You heard me. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't the, it. the only one that heard. Take that. the whiskey away from him. <laughs> He's only had kind of one. That's. Have you drank his whiskey? Take it away from. It's him. not mine. Oh, it's yeah, Japanese. No. Yeah, this is new stuff. This is. Uh, okay. Kikori Japanese whiskey. Ooh. It's a, and it's very flavorful. It. Yeah, it's actually really good. Uh. Okay. Deathly Hallows, Part Endgame. One. Harry Potter. I would go Endgame. I, I just rewatched Harry Potter. If you do want to talk about like long-term franchises, I mean, you, you but you've mentioned how much Marvel has changed things, but Marvel probably wouldn't have dared to do that without Harry Potter being as successful, and Harry Potter yeah. probably wouldn't have dared without Lord of the Rings. Yes, and none yes. of them would have dared without Star Wars. And I mean, I think. Yeah. Is, does anybody so else? Star Wars wins. Does is anybody else think that it's a little sad that Star Wars is still trying to? It, it does feel a come little. Come up with something. I don't know. I don't know. I'll reserve judgment until this Christmas. new one comes out. Yeah. But it feels like milking a dry teat at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little. Uh, you guys remember the the Last Jedi? That I mean, that completely like took the franchise. Shot it full of steroids, chopped its head off, and then said, "Ha ha ha! We're not even going to do what you thought we were going to." I, I, which I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that, Nate. But like, there was backlash against that, right? That's why they yeah, went the back to J.J. Abrams, and yeah. you know. So if they if they keep along that line, I'll be okay with it. I'll be okay. Star Wars can keep going, but if they're like, "Oh, let's just go back to what we were doing." Then uh, that's that's why I say I'm rever- reserving judgment until the next one. Yeah. I mean, isn't Kylo Ren like an avatar for the average Star Wars fanboy in that movie? <laughs> <laughs> That's not my original thought. I've I've heard that from other people. I, I, I haven't heard that before, but uh, yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying. I want Avengers. Yeah, we're waiting for Kevin. I know. I'm I'm honest. I'm going through major. I'm doing my best of for both movies in my head right now. Um. Okay. Which one would I rather watch over and over again? Both of them. <laughs> I, I, yeah. it, it's splitting hairs for me right now. I mentioned this briefly on Facebook at one point, but uh, one thing I noticed watching all these movies in order is that it had the same casting director on almost all of them. Really? I didn't realize Sarah, that. Sarah Finn did the casting on everything but The Incredible Hulk. Oh, that makes sense. Think about one person <laughs> basically being responsible for decisions and, on hiring Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and 
a lot of the reason it's so great is because the casting is so flawless. The casting is perfect. Like even yeah, Stan Lee said that uh, what's his name, Spider Man, is Tom the, Holland, the embodiment. Yes, of Peter I Parker. did see that recently. He's yeah. great. Yeah. He is, and he's finally like, he's a good Spider Man. The, the casting good... has been yeah. spot on every single time. But just as I think equally for what's as his name in Iron Man, <laughs> just as equally yes. as amazing is you take these child actors, yeah, and over seven yeah. years. You you grow them, and and none of them are like oh well yeah that's just Luna Lovegood and and she's you know yeah. whatever no she evolves into a very unique character that people still talk about today yeah yeah um, oh yeah I agree and uh, they're both absolutely but, incredible and oh, they're both incredible achievements I for me Endgame is more of an achievement because you have such an enormous cast and you somehow manage them all to make them all feel important. I'm going to go to Harry Potter. Okay. Are we stalemated? I'm going Harry Potter. It doesn't matter either way, but I'm just, how did we, I, for, I forgot who voted for what. <laughs> I think Nate went Harry Potter. I went Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, I didn't hear Tom. He went Endgame. He went Endgame and yeah. I did too and I'm not budging. Okay. Well, that still puts Endgame at number 10 on our <laughs> flick chart. Tenth I'm fine best, with that. 10th yeah. best movie of all time. Well, we watched uh, on Flickchart below the Shawshank Redemption, Twelve Years a Slave, and Flight, and above uh, Grave of the Fireflies. I'm uh, not okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, above Waltz with Bashir. Also not okay with that. <laughs> and above Hotel Rwanda. I just went with genocide yeah, for on, my theme. You <laughs> jerk. Yeah. <laughs> It's above all the genocide movies. Seriously. <laughs> you couldn't have mentioned that it was above like 50-50, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, or That's Inception. Not you nearly know? as <laughs> you interesting. Grave of the Fireflies, Waltz with Bashir, and Hotel oh. Rwanda. Yep. Make us feel bad. Yep. Yep. I'm still okay with it. I think it's I'm not I'm not okay with it being above Grave of the Fireflies at yeah. all. That's oh, that, that's tough. That is. <laughs> all right. Well, uh we're gonna come back and Talk about Neon Demon, slightly different film. All right, Tom. Tom, let's talk about your feel-good movie. Okay. <laughs> I apologize for nothing. Oh, no, I no apology necessary. Well, I'm not sure about this IMDb synopsis, but okay. It's relatively accurate. Young girl goes to town and tries to become a model. Yeah. Goes to town. Young girl goes to town. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that is... On a I corpse. Think that is, Young girl goes to town on a corpse. Well, but that's not the girl who comes to town. <laughs> that's, just a, that's just a side story. It's fine. Yeah, it is. That's just a supporting character. Build them up a little bit. Give them something for us to relate to. <laughs> All right. Welcome back. Now we're going to be talking about the movie that I chose to pair with Kevin's theme of Fantastic Finishes. I went a little bit of a different direction and chose Nicholas Swinding Refn's 2016 film, The Neon Demon, starring Ellie Fanning. She plays a teenage girl who's new to Los Angeles. She's trying to break into the fashion industry, and she has basically that it factor that a lot of the other models are jealous of and things go awry hilarity ensues <laughs> there's no no hilarity whatsoever in this movie 
I don't know. The final scene was, it was, there, was, a, it was there was a bit of a tongue in cheek there. <laughs> there oh was God. a bit of tongue in cheek. I, I eyeball in cheek. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's a lot of tongues in a lot of different places. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, I saw this movie a couple of years ago and I found it interesting, but I wasn't completely sold on it. So it's chance to do a second viewing was kind of what prompted me to pick this. And uh, I basically chose because as it goes along, it gets progressively more fantastic. And so kind of the end scene kind of comes out of nowhere and surprises you. That's why I chose it for the theme. Makes sense? Okay, good. Um, <laughs> no, but okay. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so this also stars uh, Keanu Reeves as a creepy hotel manager where she lives. And oh, he's awful. Jen, yeah, and Jenna, Jenna Malone as a makeup artist that befriends the young but model. Is he? Like, we'll talk, I guess we'll talk about is that. Is he creepy? Yeah. Are you yeah, defending he's him? he's awful. He's awful. <laughs> Even if he did not did or did not murder a young girl, yeah, he's still awful in this. Okay. Yeah. Room just two to what fourteen. Degree. Yeah, the that, that shit's going on. Yeah, that, that's, that's that, a, okay. That scene's pretty yeah rough. Um, one of the many rough scenes get rougher yeah. as this movie goes. Yeah. <sighs> Let's see. I'm a little more certain of where Kevin and Steve are going to go, so let me start with Nate. Nate, what did you think of the Neon Demon? Um. This is very much. I I don't. I still don't know how to say his name. Have we have we figured out how to say this director's name? Nicholas winding Wind- or winding? winding? Winding. 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 He invented. He just piss everyone else off. He invented that uh, that text form, yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> Windings. <laughs> that was his first contribution to culture, and then he was like, "Oh, I'm going to go add this to movies too." Um. He's a fascinating director because he's still, even though he's now kind of in Hollywood, he's he's still shooting his movies very much with the the European style, where mm-hmm. it's it's uh it's very slow. The dialogue is sparse. This is our third Refn film we've done. We did Valhalla Rising and Drive on this podcast, and I think Valhalla Rising has almost no talking. Yeah, I feel like Drive is definitely his masterpiece. This oh, is. I saw. Sorry, I saw Bronson. That was really good. Yeah. He's a fascinating film director and writer. The way he does his shots, the the way he allows these stories to progress, I I think this this is horrifying. Um, and he he always manages to surprise you. The final scene where they're chasing each other around with the knives, and then it's just such a jarring cut to the bathtub of blood. Yeah. Um, and how that you you know you're you're expecting this to be like a, a slasher film almost in, in those last couple of minutes. That's how it sets up, right? She's going to be a, a final girl. Is she going to survive? And they just, spoiler alert, push her into a pool, right? Yeah. And it's like, which he does a, a lot in like... A pool no water. A yeah. pool with no water. Yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> push her into a pool. Turns out she can't swim. Huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he does... I should have expected that because, right, he does that a lot. Uh, Drive has the same sort of instances where, you know, that final car chasing, he just pushes them over a cliff. And so he... He can very much like take you out out at your knees with his scripts. I think it's um, still beautifully shot. The Ella Fanning's great in this. Jenna Malone is great. Keanu Reeves is horrifying. Christina Hendricks for the one scene she's there is wonderful. The two Wait, I noticed, other, I noticed that we're talking about some like a hot on the next podcast. Yeah, uh, I noticed in this film I hadn't noticed before is that Christina Hendricks does the same kind of 
when she delivers her dialogue, she does the same kind of thing with her mouth that Marilyn Monroe does did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just one of those. There were a lot of things that I noticed between the movies we watched this month, like weird coincidences and. Well, and he's he's bringing up. There's tons of stuff I'd imagine if I was to ever go back and we watch this. There's lots of references. The one thing that kind of takes me out of it is the two actresses that play Gigi and Sarah. They're kind of listless and terrible, but I don't know if he wrote them that way and then just told them to be like the one scene in the bathroom where they're going back and forth and there's no personality. Well, there's they're supposed part- to be. I think kind that's of the like, point. Yeah, they're empty I, right. shells. So I'm, I'm struggling with is that are they just empty shells? Um, but then that's kind of, well, they both, they both, especially Abby Lee turn in pretty good performances considering they're supposed to be just kind of shallow models. I guess it's just, that's kind of a hard thing to, I want some more nuance. I, I, I want some way to distinguish between the two of them other than they're just shallow models. And I, I get that's kind of what their characters have to be, but it really made that opening bathroom scene where they're saying certain things like oh i heard your uh your parents died and then there's almost there's no reaction that that doesn't seem to be said for any reason it, instead it comes off like bad acting especially in that scene and there's oh, other no, she says i totally shallow. disagree yeah i disagree with it because she said i can't remember what it was now but she says something to her and that's what she needs she's trying to basically just hurt her at that point oh aren't your parents dead like well, something i noticed on this viewing that i didn't notice on the first viewing that differentiates those two from each other is that that one that says that line, you know, I heard your parents are dead. She's a much more fragile yeah. person than the other. Yep. And that's kind of carried along <sighs> to that final scene where she starts throwing up. Again, spoiler alert, like they, they've eaten her, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've eaten Jesse. Jesse is Ellie Fanning's main main character. They've eaten her. She can't handle it. She's throwing her up. She's like, I need her out of me. And then she, you know. Eviscerates herself. Eviscerates herself. Yeah, I was trying to look for the right word. Which is a nice little uh, coincidental parallel to us, uh, but they're they're they definitely are individual characters from each other. It's just a lot more subtle. Yeah, everything about this movie is extremely subtle, except for the things that aren't. <laughs> except well, for the things that are I, very extreme. I, it's <laughs> very subtle until that last half hour where it's just vicious from there on. Yeah, after she rejects Jenna Malone's character, after she rejects Ruby. And with, with the one exception of the Keanu Reeves hotel scene that may or may not have happened, um, I, like, I'm still not sure if that was in her own mind or after that rejection of Jenna and then once they all want to consume her, then then it just takes a horrifying turn. All right, so last time I had a pick at Pick Troll Hunter and I, I made the statement that it was a movie that had absolutely no metaphor, like completely metaphor-free. yeah film there's a bit of allegory um, in this yeah. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> i went from one extreme to the other with these picks yeah uh, i mean basically this is this is about the la fashion industry chewing somebody up and spitting them out yeah uh, that's what happens in the movie it's or just hollywood in general that whole yeah. like uh entertainment industry that like you could put any sort of whether it's a a, a singer an actress a model Anybody that's in sort of some sort of big entertainment entertainment industry, this is what happens to them. And he's very clear that they have to be young. Yeah, uh, which is it, it's a disgusting thing. But he is he's very clear that it's that they're chewing up the youth. Yep. You know, because she's yeah she's sixteen in this film. Right. She, she's pretty much like a wide eyed, innocent for most of the film. 
she has that that scene halfway through where she's been chosen to end the show uh-huh. and she, and she has that kind of like trippy thing with the triforce from Zelda yes <laughs> yes <laughs> um, I didn't understand I, I didn't get it the first time this time I, I got it and it's it's kind of like just a symbolic way of showing her like going over that tipping point into like thinking too highly of herself yeah thinking she's uh, something okay. because before that she's very like innocent and, like I don't understand what you mean kind of thing and yeah. then she rejects that, her boyfriend after that yeah and she has that line which I I think is it's the most interesting line in the film and I think it's one of the most interesting lines of dialogue I've ever heard and she says I don't want to be them they want to be me they want to yeah. be me yeah there's a lot in that line yeah she realizes her power, but she doesn't realize what others would be willing to do or what they're going to do to to her. She still doesn't realize her fragility right. in that moment. So she realizes that she has some power, that she has this beauty, she has this youth, but she also doesn't. She's left her naivete and her innocence behind, which is unfortunate because that might have been one of the few things that could have protected her. Right? But she she does. Uh, that's what I, I like about this is that she does actually there's moments of her realizing her power early on because in that bathroom scene that you were talking about Nate they say all those like nasty things to her and they walk out and if you catch it before she turns and leaves she gives a quick little smile like she knows what she's doing to them is Kevin okay yeah he's dying it's fine Uh, so (laughs) sorry No, before, like, after they all walk out and leave her, she looks to the mirror and gives a little smile. Like, she knows exactly what just happened and that she had the upper hand, even though they were trying to put her down. And it's it's kind of a brilliant little moment because you realize that even though she is this kind of doe-eyed, innocent, young girl, she understands the power that that has in this world. Yeah, yeah she, she has actually, some touches of manipulation. Yeah, yeah. well, mm-hmm. not not even, I wouldn't say manipulation quite yet, but understanding because there's that scene where they're on the uh, they're looking over the city. She's with her pseudo boyfriend looking over the city, and she says, "You know, I can't sing, I can't act, I can't write, but I'm pretty, and I can make a living off pretty." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like she. She she understands that about herself, and it's not until after that catwalk show where she she goes from that understanding to arrogance. I'm not sure if arrogance is the right word, but she kind of loses her innocence and goes into a more manipulative kind of person. All right. Well, let, let me ask uh, Kevin what he thinks because he has been kind of quiet when he wasn't dying. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Choking on my uh, eyeball. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of the right way to say this because on one hand, the the arc of, of Ellie's character, I, I think, is fairly obvious yeah. as the movie goes on. Um, and and I, I don't think the director was trying to be subversive or subtle about her character. Um, and, and we've talked about that. And it's very obvious about the, the idea that fame, like we said, it, it takes in the young and chews them up and spits them out, literally. Um, that idea, I think, is, is it can be very interesting to watch. And even though this 
the the cinematography and the the artistic expression of this film in many cases was really interesting and beautiful. I mean, really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the shock value of some of the things that he used to try and tell this story was so extreme that there's no way in hell I'm going to go watch this again to pick up the subtle things I missed. I mean, uh, Jenna Malone lying on her back in the moonlight with a pool of blood pouring out of her vagina isn't or a subtle thing you want to revisit. (laughs) Or the necrophilia. Yeah, the the necrophilia. Um, The deep-throating a knife. Yeah, I mean. That was making, I was gagging watching that. And that's the thing, there's half a dozen scenes where you're, you're cringing as a viewer and it's not quick. It's not like a horror film that has the jump scare or... No, this is true horror. It's this is like horrific. getting inside your psyche. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I'm not trying to dismiss it because it's that style. Because anybody that's listened to enough of our podcast know, I, I watched some freaky <laughs> shit. But uh, this just hit a new level in some areas for me. This uh, is on the same level of like mysterious skin or uh, yeah. the skin I live in or any skin movie, right? <laughs> Where yeah. you're like, that was really good and I never want to see it again. Exactly. I, I mean, I, I have to say that the difference, and I, I'm surprised I didn't even think about those, and it's probably a good reason I blocked them <laughs> from my memory. Um, visually, this was beautiful yeah. in some ways. It really was. But there are certain. It's it's such a complete opposite um, from that where, you know, one moment you can go, I mean, it, it really is just amazing how they can frame a scene around the, the landscape or the architecture and the person and the makeup and, and the clothing and the, the color and the, 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 the striking contrast of the textures and everything just it looks so beautiful. And then they show you some of this other stuff. And, and to see that in the same movie is really hard for me to digest. Not just that. I, I agree with all of that. But also the, you know, we think of this world of like these, these, mo- these are beautiful women are basically paid to be beautiful. That's it, right? Like they get paid lots of money to be beautiful. But this movie conveys the idea that their entire identity is about their beauty. And that, to me, that catwalk scene where he has all the models lined up and he makes them walk and some of them he doesn't oh. look up. Like, yeah. that was devastating. Like, oh, to have yeah. someone sit there and not even, like, your entire identity is about your beauty. You're so exposed. And yeah. someone completely dismisses you and says, you are, you're not really worth my time. And the the that that's where Nate, I disagree with you. That moment where the the I can't remember her name because they are kind of indistinguishable. But <laughs> the look on her face when she realizes right. she's the one and it's not me is you can just see she is destroyed as yeah. a human being. She is completely destroyed by this man that just didn't look up. And and later on after the uh, the fashion event. They're they're in this restaurant or after party or whatever, and you you listen to this guy who's passed judgment on these people yeah. and and has decided their life in a matter of seconds. He's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. 
And you're going, how the hell is this guy deciding somebody's life? Yeah. The, he has that line, um, beauty isn't everything. It's the only thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's a lot of these things like that. I, uh, we've heard that before in other areas. We, we've heard, um, like Tom, you were saying, you know, I, I can't act, I can't draw, but I'm pretty. You know, uh-huh. we, we've heard things like that before, but then he, he kind of takes it and, and puts it out there and says, this is kind of what happens. Yeah. For those of us that aren't in that scene, that don't have that as part of our lifestyle, makes us look at that and and kind of empathize with the the girls and mm-hmm. young guys probably that are going through this shit and, and really believe it. The the horror in this movie, yet there are the the knife I, the, that knife deep throating scene was awful for me. I was like, oh, that was horrible. But there are other like the the necrophilia. Okay, whatever. That's bad too, I guess. Uh, <laughs> that the, was, the yeah. yeah, like the I'm not sure if it was the mountain lion attacking the girl in the next room or actually the innkeeper Keanu Reeves. Right. I'm not sure what was actually happening there, but either way, that was a horrible scene. Right. So lots of horrible scenes. But and I actually this is why I actually really like this movie. All those horrible scenes are not as horrific as that moment where he says. Beauty right. is the only thing. Yeah. The only thing that matters is whether you're beautiful or not. Right. And how that ch- – how the girls in the movie who – they're young, beautiful women that are successful, fairly successful, right? They should have everything. But yet their lives are more horrific than anything else that happens in this movie. They're so the thing about the awful. horror in this mm-hmm. – the, the horror – and it is – it's visually gratuitous and horrifying – but because it has that context that you mentioned, Steve, and he, he, he does this a lot, like Drive does this, Fahala Rising does the same thing. It's visually horrifying, but when you place it within a context and you, you give it meaning, um, when it is in this very bold, very clear allegory about sacrificing your humanity and the consequences of that, um, it, it, the, the horror now has driven a purpose, right? And now it can go past kind of because kevin you've mentioned we've done some awful things and the first movie that came to mind was like when i was thinking of like pieces it can now push past something that's just a slasher and it's now using those horrifying moments to show you and give you your mind something to kind of rest on besides just the awful psychological thing you know and so now we have something like it's terrible what this guy did to her and we now associate it with this awful horrifying violence and i think that's effective horror is when we can have that. We need. We actually need both of those moments. I could see that. Yeah. I, I, I went into this. I was not expecting this movie. Oh, hell no. I was not expecting that at all. Even seeing other other movies of his, I was not expecting this. I did say last on our last episode, Nicholas Winding Refn, you never get the movie that you're expecting. Yeah, that, and that's true. Yeah. yeah. Kevin, that scene you were talking about um, after the... Uh, the catwalk, the runway scene, whatever you want to call it, right? where they're just in the restaurant. Um, that is actually, there's a lot of horrific stuff in this movie, but that is actually the most, like, just that scene of them all talking in the restaurant is the most difficult scene for me because I think it's the most self-incriminating, not self-incriminating, but um, making the audience complicit Yeah. scene because Alessandro Nivola's character is saying... You know, talk about how beauty is is the only thing. And 
Jesse's boyfriend says, I don't believe that. I think you're wrong. And he said, well, look at Jesse. Would you have, would you be here with her if you hadn't thought she was pretty? Right. Right. And it's like, and he's the first one to take pictures of her, right? Right. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. and that is the scene that incriminates the audience because it, it, it forces you to examine yourself. Like, like, all right, just to personalize it. Like, yeah, I don't think looks are the only thing that matters, but it's true. I'm not going to go ask that girl out if I don't think she's pretty. Yeah. Right. Are you going to go watch that movie if it doesn't have a pretty girl in it too? Yeah. Yeah. Right. More so. I'll be are right. right. To admit that the, the first like couple minutes of this movie, once I realized that the whole blood scene at the beginning was like oh, staged, right. and I kind of had that feeling right at the beginning. And I was like, oh, we get to watch a two-hour movie with a bunch of hot models. Awesome. Yeah. And then it didn't work out that way. But, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I was I was all on board as soon as I realized it's a movie full of hot models. Yeah. And then it went very dark very quickly. <laughs> it's it's kind of like Black Swan in that way. Yeah. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because Black Swan has a lot of erotica in it, but it, it subverts that because every time it has a scene where it's like, like its intention is to turn you on. Its next intention is to immediately horrify you. Then yeah. it skins a person's finger. Yeah. Yeah. Or has feathers growing out of their it's like, back. Uh, yeah. It's, 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 it's that scene where Natalie Portman's masturbating in bed and then she suddenly realizes her mother's next to her bed. Like, right. And it's, it's that scene where she, she's in bed with Mila Kunis and then suddenly Mila Kunis' face is her face. It's like it wants to turn you on and then immediately like make you feel bad about it. Yeah. I'm just picturing My Little Pony stuff right now because what you guys are telling me is freaking me out. <laughs> I've seen some really I find weird. I that your place to go is My Little Pony. Okay. Honestly, that's I almost was, as disturbing. I was trying to think of the the complete opposite of that, and yes, you know, happy rainbows and soft, and that's what popped into my head. And I'm not a brony, and, and never <laughs> that's watched. Yeah, that is Patrick. I've never watched any of that shit. But no, that's I have. I have seen some weird shit over the years. Um, I, I think I found my line. <laughs> I, I really did. I happened to watch this on her 21st birthday on Ellie Fanning's 20, on April 9th oh. uh, of this year. And I'm like, oh, okay, she turned 21. And I'm going like, oh, my God, I felt yeah. dirty. Yeah, I for, know. Once, afterwards, um, I realized she was 16. The yeah, she was 16 when she and made I'm this. Like, I'm going, Ugh. I don't feel right. Yeah. And that made it worse for me. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it made me think in a real sense it's not just a movie. It's not just this really ha- not happened, but she was well, aware of this yeah. while, it, while she was 16. Yeah. That's hard to take. Well, yeah. Think about all the in real life, 16, 15. I mean, in the movie, she's just turned 16. Right. And, and you know the, what happens. The, the, her, her next door neighbor is what a 13 year old runaway. Like yeah. think about all these real girls and, you know, in some cases, I'm sure boys that end up in these situations and do have to, Live through this real horror of. I mean, you, you know, victimized. it's it's based on a lot of fact, probably, oh, yeah. which is scarier than hell. And yeah. all for our entertainment, which goes back to your implicating the audience. Yeah, you know, and, and he does that so well in this, where he's <clears> like, "Yeah, and it's your fault." Yeah, throughout this entire movie, because she is very. There are moments in this when she does. There's the the scene where she does the like makeup on her face, like pink eye makeup, and she looks like a freaking fairy. She's gorgeous in that scene. I'm I'm not kidding. Like she is right. stunning in that scene. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad. Like later on, I was like, oh shit, she was 16, because yeah. I would have felt 
I would have been like, oh, I would have felt like even worse than I felt. I already yeah. felt bad. I felt even it's like worse that, uh, in that moment. When you and I watched Empire Records together. This last yeah, time, yeah. I realized that Liv Tyler was like 16 or 17 when she shot that. Yeah. yeah. No, I realized like about three quarters of the way through this film, I started thinking like of all the WTF movies that we've picked uh, for this podcast. First of all, I've, I have a certain sense of self-satisfaction, Kevin, that I picked. You've given an, him a line. The line. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fair enough. But watch this. I was like, am I the first person to pick a movie where somebody has sex with a dead body? For the podcast? Yeah. For the podcast. Yeah. Okay, my pick is Quills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Somehow that scene is more horrifying to me. I don't know why. In this movie? In Quills. Oh, in, no, Quills, in Quills, yeah, it's more horrifying. Yeah. Because Jenna Malone's already true. creepy. So it's, it's, it's just sort of like she gets creepier, not like becomes creepy in that moment. Okay. What did about read, um, did you guys read the IMDb trivia? No. Oh yes. What about Stoker? What about Stoker? Uh, Mia Wasikowska's character in there. She doesn't. I mean, there's not necrophilia, but she gets turned on by the dead bodies. It's the scene where she masturbates to one in there. But again, right. there's a line. <laughs> Masturbation's <laughs> fine. You just can't touch them. Exactly. Or tongue them, or go down on them, or or masturbate while you're on top of them. That's. Uh, <laughs> But just to the left, all right. <laughs> Personal space. Bible wits apart. That's, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Leave space for the Holy Ghost. You know, come on. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I'm sure that's the issue. I think uh, Refn has done his job. Nothing above the knees. <laughs> um, oh. All right. So this, this INDB trivia thing says Refn stated in an interview that the infamous morgue scene where, with Ruby and the corpse was improvised on set. Originally having Ruby only kiss the corpse on the lips, Jenna Malone went further and proceeded to molest the corpse. Like, forget Harrison Ford, like, shooting a guy because he had diarrhea that day. Like, <laughs> this is the most bizarre piece of improv I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let, me add, let me add another layer to that. Somebody had to play that corpse. Right. That's yeah. an actress. I know. I'm watching. I'm like, she's not moving. She's really good. She's not moving. <laughs> like, Hopefully, she get a she's really role. good. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Put that on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> Played molested corpse in Neon Demon. Yeah. Um, seeing Jenna Malone in other movies, though, I don't see that too far off from her natural personality. Yeah. Well, that's right. When Jenna Malone's creepy, not just in this movie. She's just creepy yeah. in general. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's grade this film. Nate, what would you grade The Neon Demon? I'm going to give it a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. I think you guys have raised some good points about most of the issues I had were script issues with the acting. What you guys said about some of the ways that they're acting when they're not on script is definitely true and I think impressive. So I'm actually going to – you guys have helped talk it up to an A. So I'm going to give it an A. Steve? Yeah, I'm also going to give it an A. There are a few scenes like the Triforce scene I didn't get. <laughs> there, the, the, the blood vagina wave – Thing. That's that's I, still the only scene that I don't understand. I didn't get that. So there there are scenes in this movie where I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And then it like switches back, and I'm like, oh okay, I, I, I we're back to the story now, I guess. Yeah. So those kind of were detrimental, but I have a feeling if I watched it again, which I probably will never do, uh, I would those would make more sense. Like Nate, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt for those scenes, and it gets an A. Yeah, that scene I actually had completely forgotten about that scene. But it's like she lays down and turns over and that shot's like 
closing in on her. Yeah, I was worried where that was going to go. I had even even seen this before, and I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen now? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then, like, you just see the blood pooling out. Yeah. And there's like that look on her face of relief. And I'm like, oh, what is this? Yeah. That was after they consumed her, right? Yes. Yeah. I guess. And the only thing yeah. I could think is that is that that's meant to juxtapose with the other scene later where she throws up. That's what I was thinking. Like she purges herself or something right. like yeah, there's, that. There's yeah. different reactions is the way that I read it. And Ruby's character found it as um, erotic. And she this was something that was very sexual for her. And so she's releasing it. It reminded me of like the uh, blood gasm scene in Gone Girl. Um, yeah. And uh, then the one the one person either can't handle the awful things they have to do to make success or she eviscerates herself. And the final one is she steeled herself, right? She's accepted yeah. what she has to do and she's moving forward. It, this is this is a indictment of Hollywood more than anything I've ever seen. And there's other movies that are doing the same thing, but this is like a basically is a big f u to the whole like what Hollywood does to people, right? From a, a an ex, well accepted Hollywood director, Kevin, the most what the fuck movie you've ever seen. <laughs> How would you um, grade this one? I'm gonna give it a B. I, I was gonna go with like a D or a C, but then thinking about it and talking about it, visually. A few scenes aside, like I said, it, it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, I'm going to give this an A. I, I'm, I was dubious about my choice, but I'm glad I picked this. Um, I'm glad I got to see it a second time, actually, because I would have been around a C, low B, probably. I, I think this is one of the most visually and sonically perfectly crafted films I've ever seen. And it, it's horrifying in the way it should be. And it's beautiful when it's not being horrifying and sometimes when it is. Uh, and that's what three A's and a B, yep. A minus. It gets a Spock. Spock. <laughs> All right, let's tie this to our flick chart. And we've already introduced what flick chart is. First matchup it comes up against is my last pick, Troll Hunter. Oh. <laughs> neon yeah. Demon. Yeah, Neon Demon. Uh, Troll Hunter. Neon Demon wins three to one. Neon Demon versus Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Captain, Captain America. America. Yeah, Captain America. Yeah. You know, I will say this. I want to see the Russo brothers, and I want to see Marvel. I know it won't happen, but the Winter Soldier, I love the physical fights in that. Like the elevator fight scene, I liked the callback in Avengers mm-hmm. to that. How yeah. quickly he just kind of dispatches that moment and doesn't have the fight scene. I want to see them move back to the small scale, a bunch of guys in a room, Punting people off of boats uh, <laughs> versus blowing up a big spaceship because it's yeah the I fireworks aren't as affecting as a fist punch. Yeah, that was that was one thing, and I mean they've won me over. Marvel has, but back before they introduced Thor to the series, I liked that Iron Man was very grounded mm-hmm. in some kind of reality. It was definitely like that science fiction, but just on that side of it. Yeah. Um, so when I learned they were going to be eventually having Thor and Iron Man in the same movie, I was like, that's stupid. <laughs> and then like a talking raccoon on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, it worked. But I agree. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see them do something more grounded like Winter Soldier. Yeah. We didn't talk about this, but after the next Spider-Man movie, they're basically kicking off the next 
phase with Black Widow. Yeah. And it's like, well, how? Yeah, I was wondering that too. It's either going to have to be a prequel, which is kind of anticlimactic, or... Or she's not dead. She's got to come back somehow, which is... That takes all the drama out of her death. So far, I think Marvel's been pretty good about figuring out how to do that without taking the wind out of previous sales, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so I trust, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I agree with both of those statements, but I kind of have faith that they're going to pull it off until they prove otherwise. Yeah. I, I'm especially after, like I said, you know, they defied my expectations by subverting them with end game. Yeah. Yep. I kind of, I kind of agree with you, but I'm just like, I'm a little dubious. Anyway, winter soldier beats neon demon. Neon Demon versus Gone Girl. Gone Girl. Oh, crap. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, exactly. I'm going on Neon Fuck. Demon. Um, these are both disturbing movies. I think Neon Demon actually has a better reason to be disturbing. Yes, uh, I agree. And I think, I think Gone Girl is... Uh, there are a lot of moments in there where the disturbing stuff is used as a plot point and for exploitive entertainment, which is kind of exactly what Neon Demon is criticizing. So I'm going with Neon Demon. Yeah, I was going to go Gone Girl, but you actually convinced me, Nate. I'm going to go Gone Girl because I really wasn't listening to you. (laughs) 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 No, I I was wrestling with my own decision, and I just couldn't focus because they are both independently impactful. And, and as much as I wouldn't want to watch either one, I would less not want to watch Gone Girl. That grammatically makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Neon Demon wins. Neon Demon's up against the Skeleton Twins. Neon Demon. Neon Demon. I can't vote. Oh, um, this is interesting. I mean, before rewatching, I would go Skeleton Twins easily. But I, whereas I relate to Skeleton Twins thematically... And I don't really relate to Neon Demon thematically that much. Um, <laughs> really? Why? Beyond like an intellectual level. But <laughs> I feel like Neon Demon, just the the artistry of it is going to stick with me more. So I'll go with Neon Demon. And Neon Demon's up against Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Neon Demon. These are both about the empowerment of women, correct? Uh... Uh... <laughs> I feel like that's a trap. Well, they both... (laughs) Wait, no, no, look at it. I think Tom's onto something. In both movies, women ingested something to get powerful. (laughs) No? Okay. Well, I think Carol Danvers absorbed Uh, something to get powerful. She wanted to eat. Tomato, tomato. Is there a pee in front of that? (laughs) 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 Pee tomato? What? (laughs) So... It's a silent pee. It's a silent pee. It's a silent pee. Like in pterodactyl. (laughs) I think you missed it, Tom. We we were talking about how we wanted to mess with kindergartners and, like, teach half of the... Thank you. Teach teach half of the country that, like, words like tomato start with a P. We need more (laughs) silent peas in our education. Okay. I was not there for that conversation. Thank you. Kevin had suggested it should be done with rival schools. Know, they thought that would be awesome. an interesting. <laughs> uh, take schools that have built in rivalries. Yeah. And then they <laughs> I went Neon Demon. Nate, you went Neon Demon? Yeah, I'd go Neon Demon. I'll go Neon Demon. Kevin? I went Captain Marvel. Okay. 
Uh, Neon Demon is now at number 261 on our flick chart. Uh, sandwiched right between The Secret of Kells and Captain Marvel. Out of how many? 631. All right, we're going to come back after the break and tell you what we are reviewing on our next podcast. So I have the pick for next podcast, and I decided to choose Us by Jordan Peele. Uh, Get Out was one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, was really I found really challenging. I watched, I seem to get something from it every single time I rewatch it, and so I'm I'm really curious what he's going to do next. This is a director that could be writer director that could be really important. So I kind of want to follow and see what he does. And the basic premise is that a family goes on a vacation and suddenly they're imposters or replacements or something shows up and terrorizes them. Much beyond that, I'm not really sure. It stars, this is also part of my reason for picking it, Lupita Nyong'o, who is absolutely incredible uh, in everything I've seen her in. So my theme was, since this seems to be the theme of the movie, was replacement or being replaced. And Brian has... You said replacements or... Imposters. Or imposters. Yes. And Brian had the pairing. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify that before I made my pick because there's no replacements going on here. There's people who are posing as somebody else in this movie. Uh, and my pick was 1959's Some Like It Hot starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, and Jack Lemon, where two men who've witnessed a mob hit have to get out of the state um, in an all-female band disguises women. Uh, I believe I, I've seen it before, but it's been a long time. I believe it takes place on a train? Uh, partially. Partially? Okay. Yeah. They take a train to a resort where most of the rest of the film, I think, takes place. Is this our first Monroe film? Like our first Marilyn Monroe? We yeah. talk a little bit about her about with um, My Week with Marilyn, I, thought, I think. but um, I don't think we've ever done... Uh... Marilyn yeah, I've never seen a film with her in it. You've never seen a film with Marilyn? Okay. Yeah, I have. Wow. Not that I'm aware of. First Peter Laurie, first Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Seven Year Itch is <laughs> one of my welcome. favorite movies. You're welcome, Kevin. I'm breaking all new barriers for you. Yeah. You're going to enjoy Marilyn Monroe completely differently than you enjoyed Peter Laurie. <laughs> I hope we so. don't know that. I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have the same amount of sex appeal. Yeah. <laughs> Something about the eyes. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and the bosoms. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, Steve, finish it up. Okay, so next month is about talented, attractive actresses. Lupita Nyong'o and Marilyn Monroe. It's not looking good for Lupita. <laughs> I disagree. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. Some like it us. Us like Some like hot. us hot. Some, Some like, like us hot. hot. There we go. Some like us hot.
So that just tells you to actually be worthy, you have to curse. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Then I am so fucking worthy. Uh. (laughs) 